Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. Welcome to episode 161 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we chat with Dwayne Pancoast, author of The Geriatric Gardener, all about adaptive gardening. The plant profile is on the Franklin tree, and we share what's going on in the garden as well as some upcoming local gardening events in the What's New segment. We close out with the last word on French drain systems with Craig McManus, host of the Garden Question podcast. This episode, we're joined by Dwayne Pancoast. He is the author of The Geriatric Gardener, Adaptive Gardening Advice for Seniors. Welcome, Dwayne. Thank you, Kathy. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you on. So this is a topic that's of concern to all of us who are going to be aging, you know, knock on wood. That we get to that level of gardening. That, that, <laughs> that, that's everybody. That's everybody. And also adaptive gardening applies to a whole other swath of the population. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But before we get into everything adaptive gardening, let's talk a little bit about you and your horticulture and gardening journey, Dwayne. So we like to ask our guests here on the Garden DC podcast, were they born with chlorophyll in their veins and a green thumb? No. <laughs> so when did you first discover plants or a love for gardening? In high school, I think. Um, I applied to only one college. It was called the New York State College of Forestry at the time. Uh, now it's the State University of New York College of Environmental Science and Forestry. And it's part of Syracuse University. Um, I went with the idea of going into pulp and paper chemistry, uh, but then I decided uh, I didn't like chemistry. So I majored in landscape architecture. And after two and a half years, I realized I couldn't draw. Meanwhile, I'd gotten interested in radio and television and transferred cross campus, as they say. Uh, to the radio and television program. Um, and if anybody knows that Syracuse University is famous for Newhouse School, this was pre-Newhouse. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, without getting too personal about your age, I think you're in your uh, early 80s? No, I'm 84. I'll be hitting the mid-80s in November. Okay. So, well, that dates you a little bit on that. And so once you graduated from college and uh, with a radio television specialty, how did you come to horticulture? In 1970, I was working for a public relations firm uh, here in Rochester, New York, and the largest residential tree and landscape company's owner uh, decided it was time to hire a public relations firm. And he went to high school with my boss, and his name is Ted Collins. And Ted uh, 
like the fact that he didn't have to teach me about uh, how plants grow. So we got together weekly for breakfast and um, we could throw ideas back and forth. And I got to uh, the point where I was uh, working for tree and landscape companies all over the country, as well as some of their trade associations and their suppliers, manufacturers uh, who were supplying them with such things as lawnmowers and handheld power equipment and stuff like that. And I'm still actually working for with another uh, tree and landscape company here in our area and also one in New Jersey. Um, I turned my firm uh, in 1985. I, I started my own public relations and marketing communications firm. Mm -hmm. And my, one of my sons joined me in 1998. And I turned it over to him in 2022. But I still do writing for him in horticulture. And I got involved with GardenCom back in 1985. Uh, because my client Ted Collins was president of the American Society of Consulting Arborists that year. And a gentleman by the name of Jack Siebenthaler was the executive director of the American Society of Consulting Arborists. But he was also um, one of the officers in what was then the Garden Writers Association of America. And he suggested to Ted uh, that he join GWAA. So I said to Ted, since I write everything uh, that you uh, gets placed over your byline, I think I ought to join too. <laughs> so he, he stayed in for a year and I've been in ever since. Mm. Well, so I did meet you through what is now GardenCom, the Association of Garden writers and communicators and photographers, bloggers, book authors, etc. And we're both in a power circle together, um, meaning similar to a mastermind group and that sort of thing. Um, so that's how we got to know each other. But let me ask you a little bit about your personal gardening and how you garden at home. And maybe for our listeners who are not familiar with where you're located in the local climate, you can describe that as well. I'm in the Finger Lakes region of New York, which is near Rochester, New York. It's about an hour east of Buffalo. And we're in zone five. We have some, we can have very harsh winters and we can have very open winters. Last year, I only had my driveway plowed three times. Only three, Dwayne. <laughs> still, <laughs> still a lot, but yes. And so zone five, how is the soil there? My soil where I live is rotten. It's clay, but um, I'm a woody plants person. So most of my garden is woody plants and they've been in for 20 years and they're, uh, they're mature. Hmm. And did you come to Woody Plants after doing vegetables and perennials and annuals and other things? Or were you always into Woody Plants? Always into Woody Plants. I went to a forester school. Mm -hmm. Well, even with landscape architecture, um, our plant materials course was all Woody Plants. In fact, in my bookcase next to me here, uh, I still have 
uh, Donald Wyman's uh, Trees for uh, North American Gardens, I believe it's called, and um, Shrubs and Vines for North American Gardens, right mm -hmm. next to Michael Durer's Woody Plants book. Great. And so after your couple of decades with the PR firm and working with horticultural companies, what drew you to the topic of adaptive gardening? Well, I knew I was going to be turning the firm over to my son, but I don't, I don't want to, I didn't want to retire. Uh, I guess I'm quasi retired at this point. I wanted to do something uh, just that was all me, just personal because as a, a public relations counselor, I was writing for somebody else and everything had to meet with their approval and stuff. I wanted something that was just me. What I wrote, I wrote and was resp responsible for. And I was trying to think of topics. And one day I read a, in a landscape trade magazine, um, an editorial in which the editor uh, told the, the her readers, uh, landscape contractors, that they there was a market out there that they were missing, namely older people, because America was graying at that time. There were, you know, uh, the baby boomers and the greatest generation were really getting up in age and that they had special needs as they grew older, that it would behoove landscape contractors to learn about those needs and be able to serve that market. I thought, that's it. That's the subject I want to concentrate on because I've had to make adaptations for a bad knee. And so I decided a blog would be the quickest thing to get me off the ground. So I started my blog in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the first power circle that you lead on, on blogging, I you asked us to each give our name and what we wrote about. And when I got done with what I wrote about, somebody spoke up and said, Oh, adaptive gardening. I'd never heard the term before. Sounded good. So after the power circle meeting, I Googled it. And sure enough, it's the term that describes exactly what I do. So, <laughs> Yeah, let's go into adaptive gardening and the definition of it and the groups it would apply to. Let's start with the groups that it would apply to. Uh, the most immediate are people who are aging, people who have found that uh, they can't do quite as much in the garden as they could and are considering maybe they have to give up gardening, but also younger people who, if they adopted some of the garden and gardening techniques of adaptive gardening now while they're young, they may not uh, face some of the problems that uh, people like me are, are facing. And adaptive gardening, uh, definition, I don't know as there is a definition per se, but I, I always use 
adapting your garden and your gardening to your changing needs. Now, some people may define that as, well, my knees hurt, so I'll just throw on a pair of knee pads. But it's far more than that. The first thing we have to do is realize that we're getting old. I, I got into old age kicking and screaming because I thought I could beat the odds, but I didn't. <laughs> and nobody's going to. In addition to um, getting knee pads <laughs> um, and products like uh, ergonomic tools and stuff like that, there's a psychological part of it, not, not, not just an attitudinal part, but also um, such things as time management. Even if you aren't uh, feeling endurance problems in gardening now, it's a good idea to manage your time. Um, plan your gardening for a day and take blocks, blocks of work and blocks of rest. And start out the day with the most strenuous activity that you're going to do that day. Take the break when it's comfortable. Figure out how long you can work comfortably in a work block. 20 minutes, a half hour. If you're younger, maybe even an hour. Uh, but when it's time to take that rest break, then do it. Don't say, oh, I can keep going. Those of us in my age group, we were taught when you start a project, finish it and stick with it till it's done. Well, an adaptive gardening that goes out the window because when you're done with this, let's say 20 minute break of your strenuous activity, you take a rest break. Then when you go back to the next activity session, go to a less strenuous and throughout the day, go to less strenuous. It's going to take you more time to get all of the done, or it's going to seem like it does. But I bet you, if, for example, you're going to work on your vegetable garden for the whole day, at the end of that day, you're not going to be very productive because you're going to be slowing down to a crawl, where if you do that work on the vegetable garden uh, first thing in the morning and then go to a something less strenuous. Um, you'll be fresher each uh, block and probably when you add up the product productivity, you'll be more productive. And when you take your rest breaks, set the cl clock on your phone or take a kitchen timer so that when it goes off, you take a rest break. Mm. If your garden's small enough, uh, you can get back to the your patio or deck for a rest break. Um, if it's a large garden, maybe not want to walk back to the patio so you let the rest break slide. You don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Take a, a, and make an area out near the garden for a rest. If you have a... a Shade tree, for example, a nice, comfortable chair and a cooler of water are all you need to sit in the shade of the tree. Hmm. If you don't, take a, a patio umbrella out with you. Or if you have one of these easy ups like they use for festivals, take that out 
and that can be your shade. Mm-hmm. And uh, hydration is important. Take that cooler of water and drink and drink and drink mm. because uh, dehydration has many health consequences. I can always tell when I'm dehydrated because my balance goes wonky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important for any gardener, not just as an aging gardener or somebody needing a little bit more physical assistance in the garden. And I love the um, tip about the kitchen timer because I've always taken a kitchen timer out in the garden just because you completely lose track of time and you don't want to get your phone or your watch dirty or something like that or lose it out in the garden. But, you know, uh, a surplus extra kitchen timer is a great thing to have in your garden tool bag. Well, I never had to worry about that because I have a significant other who um, has um, problems with temperature, high temperature. So she always made sure I took my breaks. But um, now I don't do much outside because Mm -hmm. I I had a stroke in 2020 Mm -hmm. and I I use a walker. So that uh, it it makes it difficult. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky enough to have a landscape contractor who uh, a lawn mowing guy, actually, uh, who has a, a... group who also does uh, landscape maintenance so they do spring summer and fall cleaning and weeding for me mm-hmm. and I usually sit out and watch them they they aren't great on the, their plant material knowledge yes I was going to say it's help in the garden is one of the things that I would think adaptive gardening would really Uh, recommend to people to seek help when they've been doing it all themselves but you can't let somebody usually in your garden without working side by side with them I find just to ID the plants because the second you turn your back that's when they take out the seedling that you've been trying to grow for five years right and then just this last spring I had a couple of trees mulched and I wanted to make sure he didn't make mulch volcanoes on me. And one of them was my prized ginkgo tree, uh, which brings me to another um, subject, and that's downsizing. You know, downsizing be traumatic for most people. Mm -hmm. And so when you're deciding to do that, uh, one of the ways that can make it less traumatic is to take something from your old garden with you a plant that you love in particular. In my case, it was a ginkgo tree, a 20-foot tall, I think it was four-inch caliber ginkgo tree. I had gotten it uh, for free because my son worked for, uh, did a, a college internship uh, with a tree in there, with a landscape and garden store uh, locally. And... Um, they were going to throw this out because it had a frost crack and he asked if he could have it. So he brought it home we planted it and it grew beautifully. And so when we left our half acre lot and big house for a quarter acre lot and a a single story house, um, 
my client, my tree and landscape client, had a big tree mover, uh, truck mounted tree mover. So I had him move it. I put it in the contract that we could take the ginkgo tree. And I had him move it over here. And now, I don't know, it's about eight or ten inches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such great advice, Dwayne, to, to take something that you loved from your previous garden and have that with you as you downsize the garden or, or at least the garden changes might make go from one size to another. Um, how about switching to containers? Yes. Raised beds, elevated beds, containers, the greatest thing ever invented. And a lot of people think they're new, but I don't know. I, weren't the hanging gardens of Babylon containers? I, I'm particularly partial to elevated beds, which are like plan, big planter boxes on, on legs because I can sit there and, and do my gardening. Um, I have a couple of pictures that I use in my uh, presentations that show nice wooden raised beds with big... Um, top boards on them so that you can have, uh, kind of sit on those, but you're sitting parallel to the, to the length of it rather than sitting facing the garden. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like the elevated beds and you can get raised beds, elevated beds and containers and so many materials today, wood, metal, plastics. I use a lot of containers and what I do is use plant the plants in nursery pots and then just slip them into the decorative pots. First of all, um, you know, you're not dragging a bulky, heavy decorative pot full of soil and plants around. You can put the decorative pot where you're going to display it and then take the um, planted nursery pot and slip it in. And then when it comes to time to change it out, all you have to do is slip it back out and you don't have to clean and disinfect the, the decorative pot before you use it again. Yeah, that's such a great idea. Especially, I, I've even seen people do that in the ground. Like literally put a can buried in the ground and then pop a can with an annual, say a petunia that would spread across the ground and just pop the cans in, so to speak, one inside the other. Um, but I do wonder about watering and, you know, if that needs a little extra or if that's, you know, irrigating or how you're taking care of that can and can system. As long as you have enough uh, drainage holes, you're okay. Mm-hmm. I've even seen it for propagating trees and shrubs, that can and can system. Oh, yeah, because uh, most of the the trees and shrubs today are in nursery pots and that way they don't have to dig them and put them into a pot. Mm -hmm. And I think from what I get questions about when I talk about gardening as we age, the number one thing I hear is nobody wants to bend over. (laughs) So um, bending to dig holes, bending to plant plant plants in the ground so you you talked a little bit about containers and raised beds and raising it up a little bit to your level are there other tools or things you use to um, minimize 
the bending over or the back and knee issues. Oh, most definitely. Uh, today you can get um, lightweight tools, uh, long-handled tools like shovels, rakes, and hoes with fiberglass handles and lightweight metal blades. Um, and you can get some of those with extendable handles so that you can fit them to your height. And if you garden sitting down, like at an elevated bed, you just shorten them up because they're expandable. Um, there are tools like um, trowels and, and that um, that are ergonomic. You're able to hold them in the natural position rather than the twisted position that you hold a normal trowel. Um, and if you have big arthritic fingers like me, and it's hard to hold a, a shovel, for example, uh, you can put um, uh, a wraparound around it. Uh, I was recommending um, the tubing that they put around air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, for the longest time, and in one of my presentations, somebody suggested they use pool noodles, and that's got a, a double benefit. First mm. of all, the the pipe insulation um, that slit down the length of it because they have to slip it onto the pipes, so you have to take duct duct tape and tape that slit, and then tape the ends of it onto the handles of your tool. Um, pool noodles, you don't have to do that. You just slip them on um, and you, they come in all bright colors and you can get duct tape that uh, in those colors to match. And if you're prone to leaving your tools out in the garden, the bright colors remind you to take them back to the shed or garage with you. And one of the things that um, I've seen a couple of instances of lately I think would be a great idea if it could become a trend is a couple people have their veggie garden um, in containers and elevated beds uh, on their pa patios and decks. Mm -hmm. um, I have a friend here in town who got a soda cooler an antique soda cooler at the town swap meet and finished it, uh, refinished it over the the winter. And this spring she's uh, using it as a planter. It's got a metal insert, of course, because it had the ice in it for the soda and a drain hole. And it's kind of the vo focal point on her patio. And she grows other veggies on her deck and right off of the patio, she has a little uh, tilled area for such things as potatoes and sweet corn that uh, don't grow well on a, a container. And uh, then a relative of mine in Buffalo, uh, they have their uh, container and elevated beds on the patio uh, that surrounds their above ground pool. Why go out to the back 40 for your veggie garden? Mm -hmm. You have to walk all that way to 
attendant. Uh, you have to drag your, the hose out there to water it. Um, you have to do, walk out there to harvest it. You do it in the, the containers, and then all you have to do is walk out the back door, and there you got tonight's dinner. And if you have some flowers growing out there too, not only do they add color, but they smell nice while you're picking your tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's when past generations called it the kitchen garden because yeah. it was literally outside the back kitchen door. Um, so much more convenient, right? And hopefully that's where your son is. <laughs> so I think that's really the reason why where the veggie garden is for a lot of people is just that's where their full sun is. But if you can make it close to the house, you can make it close to that back kitchen door even better. And so you just mentioned um, the next topic I was going to ask you about, which is dragging those heavy hoses around. Um, so what are your adaptive gardening tips for watering and reducing the amount of hose dragging? Soaker hoses. I'm, I've got three of them buried in various places around here. And uh, you bury them in the mulch. Soaker hoses are... Um, made out of porous black rubber. They're recycled uh, tires. So you're helping the environment. And the, it's like, like a poor person's drip irrigation. The water just seeps out of the, out of the hoses. There's a picture of that because that's a subject that I just posted yesterday on my blog, Summer Watering for the Senior Garden. And uh, it's a close-up of, you can see the hose in the mulch and the water oozing out of it. Okay. Uh, you just turn the tap on about a quarter turn. If you turn it any more, the pressure is going to um, split that porous rubber. But these they're great because you can just couple them together and you snake them around the, that garden. Uh, then they come with a plastic uh, thing that goes on the end, like a stopper that screws on the end. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's the way to go. Fortunately, we have a big lake, Lake Ontario to the north and uh, Finger Lakes to the south. So it's not very often that we need to water. Mm -hmm. Very fortunate. But I would think uh, with the soaker hoses, that kitchen timer would come in handy as well. So you don't forget that you you leave it on those plants for an hour or so. Right. And it'll start coming to the surface when you have watered it sufficiently, though. Mm -hmm. That's if you remember to go and check on it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and you just don't totally forget. But yes, yeah, so... Um, so that takes care of some of the in-ground watering. What about container gardening? Well, containers, you have to water. I, I've never tried the self-watering containers, um, but everybody tells me they work well. I've just um, been able to sit on the patio and use a hose. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, have to do, you have to water more often with, uh, with container gardens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that, or you could put together a small drip irrigation system and group the pots together, probably right. be the easiest way. Right. Yep. And hand watering, of course, 
always works, but a little more effort because water is, I think, liquid in general is your heaviest element in the garden. Yes. And speaking of uh, heavy stuff in the garden, one of the, probably the second most prevalent problem next to bad knees is bad backs. And uh, some ideas for people. Number one, remember what you got taught as a kid to lift with your knees and legs, not your back. When you mention people don't like to bend over, good, because you're not supposed to. And when you lift something, lift it with your legs. Don't put it up high above your head if you can help it. Uh, and if you can't help it, get somebody else to help you put it up because that can really be bad for senior citizens. It's going to send you to the chiropractor. And even, even if you're putting something on a table or a bench, something that bulky, bring it up to your waist, then stop and catch your breath and then go the rest of the way. And if you've got stuff to take out to, from your car to your garden, back garden, for example, uh, fertilizer or bags of mulch, don't carry it. Use either a coaster wagon or a garden cart or a wheelbarrow. If you use a wheelbarrow, use a, it's better to use a two-wheel one than a one-wheel one. Um, and it's better to pull them than to push them takes less effort and it's better easier on your back mm -hmm. but you mentioned before too asking people to help asking people to help is not something that's bad especially for senior gardeners and the place to start is with family um, that's how we get a, the next generation of gardeners they aren't necessarily by born with chlorophyll in their veins um, they learn from you don't just bring them in to do the weeding or the grunt jobs that you don't want to do actually buy some plants that are just for them and give them a section of a raised bed that they can grow and maintain and, and uh, uh, harvest the, the either the veggies or the flowers and then they'll be more than happy to do it. Or if you're a member of a garden club, get together a garden club work party and uh, serve pizza or hamburgers at lunchtime. Um, one of my Facebook friends did that a couple of weeks ago. Her one side of her, one end of her house faces she's next door to a, a nursing home and <clears throat> there was nothing planted on that side of her house so she decided that uh, um, she would make a garden there that people in the nursing home could look out of their windows and enjoy so she got together all her facebook friends and they were going to work in the morning and then she was going to serve them lunch it rained that day, but um, they still worked. So don't be afraid to ask. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of the um, 
catchphrases I've read or, or heard and used myself uh, is that senior gardeners should tend their garden, not toil in it, and that we should work smarter, not harder. And also embrace imperfection. Nature isn't perfect. If nature were perfect, we wouldn't be having this conversation because our knees wouldn't wear out, our backs wouldn't wear out, and we wouldn't have health problems. Mm -hmm. And also, um, if you look at, uh, take a walk through a forest where all the trees are in, in perfect rows, nature didn't plant those, people planted them. And they planted them for a reason, for um, power poles or lumber or pulp wood. Uh, nature, um, the seed grows where it's dropped. And the back of my house here, uh, there's a hill. And I had it graded for the landscapers to put plants in um, going up the hill. But then... Uh, just a, a flat mesa on the top and originally I kept it meticulously weeded and mulched and everything but as it got harder um, for me to get up that hill I let it go natural and nobody ever said anything when I was working my fanny off uh, doing all the mulching and weeding but now they look at it and say, oh, that hill looks nice. So embrace that perfection. Yes, um, that's a very good point. And then, you know, as your eyesight uh, starts to dim a little as you age, I think we see things in more, you know, of a glossy, <laughs> you know, through our eyes. You're not seeing all the little pinholes in the leaves. So it's actually right. a good thing in the garden. Right. The only bad thing about that hill, it's got poison ivy and morning, wild morning glory vines growing there. My landscaper has to weed those out every time they do weeding. And that's a chore. Uh, land, this landscape company that I use, uh, he, he can actually grab poison ivy with his bare hands and pull it out. Wow. I think... You know, I'm not so poison ivy sensitive myself that I could probably do that. But would I do that? No. <laughs> I'm still not going to take that chance uh, of just grabbing a handful of poison ivy. I feel like you're you're asking for it at that point. Um, so uh, in our last couple of minutes together, uh, so for adaptive gardening, what are your other main questions or concerns that people usually bring up when you give talks about your book? Now, the funny thing is uh, I must cover every, all their questions because I don't get many questions. <laughs> the, the only question I, I get, I, in fact, I used this uh, when I was on the garden come national garden bureau uh, book party in the spring. Mm -hmm. uh, the moderator asked what questions we get asked. I can't stand up to to speak. So I've got a, a director's chair. Huh. It's not just your wooden and canvas one. It's a real fancy one from um, Bass Pro Shops with a 
pouch for papers and phones and stuff on one side and a fold-out uh, uh, tray and beverage holder on the other side. Um, when I ask for questions, the biggest question I get is, where did you get the chair? <laughs> yeah, I can see why they would want to know that for sure. And so while we're asking of where we can get things, how can people order your book, Dwayne? Uh, they can go to my website, uh, to my blog, uh, com, and I have a link at the end of every post. Just click on that. Uh, we've purposely kept it inexpensive. It's fourteen ninety five plus shipping. Mm-hmm. And what other resources do you recommend for information on adaptive gardening? Uh, well... If you want to get rid of your lawn, the best thing to use is ground cover. And I know of a book uh, that's really good. And also, if you downsize and are wondering about how to be creative in your garden, uh, your small space garden, I know of a good book there. (laughs) It's Cassie's uh, book on ground covers and Cassie and Terry's book on... uh, uh, the urban garden. It's, it says urban garden, but if you live in the burbs or the boondocks, um, it really has good ideas for that too. And another one that I always recommend is one called Slow Gardening by mm. Felder Rushing. Mm-hmm. It's not on uh, senior gardening, but it's on being yourself in the garden, making your garden for you not for your neighbors. And it's really a great book. I think I've read it three or four times. Yeah, I forget about that book, Dwayne. So I think that's great that you brought it up. I think the whole kind of slow food movement had inspired Felder to do the slow gardening book. And it should be much more popular than it is. I think it has some great principles in that book. And so how can our listeners get in contact you to find out or find out more? Well, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, and my uh, email is simply my name backwards, pancoastduane at gmail.com. Great. Okay, so after doing several years of adaptive gardening yourself and uh, sharing all these lessons with others through your book and talks, I'm going to ask you, Duane. Is there a lesson that you don't apply to yourself that you should? No, actually, I am, am pretty pretty uh, religious about doing the, the things that I write about. Mm-hmm. And uh, also in stroke rehab, I learned such things as if you have a bad knee like I do, when you walk up the stairs you lead with your good leg and when you go down you lead with your bad bad leg Mm. and when you get up from a chair try to always sit in in chairs that have arms and then boost yourself with your arm and put your nose before your toes (laughs) good principles Uh, but now uh, my I wouldn't call it a passion, but my greatest interest is tolanzia, growing tolanzia air plants. Mm -hmm. I have 
about 30 of them, which was good when I got out of uh, stroke rehab um, and using a walker. It was kind of hard to carry a watering can for my potted plants. So my gal Linda um, has taken over the, the potted plants and they seem to like her way of caring for them better than mine. Mm -hmm. uh, I still do the Talancy. I've got a, a kitchen food storage bin that I can carry well, on the walker. So every other week I go around the house picking up the plants, taking them to the kitchen, uh, soaking them for an hour and a half or so, and putting them on uh, a special towel that somebody gave me that for Christmas that says sometimes I wet my plants. <laughs> and uh, let them dry and put them back where they belong. Excellent. And I would think Talancy is one of the most perfect of house plants for somebody with adaptive gardening. It is. It really is. And uh, did you catch at the, that uh, book party, um, Lisa, who followed me, the houseplant expert, mm -hmm. saying that... Uh, she thought that Talanzi, everybody should have some Talanzi among their houseplants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. I think that's Lisa Steele with the E yeah. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa's a great houseplant author and expert, and maybe we'll have her sometime on the Garden DC podcast to talk about houseplants in general. So, Dwayne, um, any final thoughts on adaptive gardening? Just that the, the best... Um, advice I I read somewhere I don't even know where I read it was is to tend your garden don't toil in it mm -hmm. excellent well thank you so much Dwayne thank you Kathy another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help for your financial to-dos Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Franklin Tree Plant Profile Franklin Tree Franklinia Alatamaha is a small ornamental tree or large shrub. It is native to the southeastern United States and is hardy to USDA zones 5 to 8. It is also known as Gordonia alatamaha or Gordonia pubescens. It was named after the founding father, Ben Franklin. John Bartram and his son, William, discovered Franklinia growing along the banks of the Altamaha River in Georgia. The tree is no longer found in the wild, but is available in cultivation thanks to the original seeds gathered by the Bartrams. Franklinia has a reputation for being difficult to grow, and it deserves a place of pride in a collector's garden. It can be propagated from seeds or cuttings taken in early fall, or by layering the lower branches. The fragrant flowers bloom in mid to late summer, and are an open camellia-like blossom with its bright yellow stamens at the center of a ring of creamy white curved petals. It is in the tea family and is also related to stewardia. 
the fall foliage color is attractive. It prefers to be planted in part sun to part shade in rich but well-draining soils. It is susceptible to wilt and root rot. This tree resents being moved, so do not disturb the roots after planting it. Frank Linnea tree. You can grow that. What's new in the garden this week? Well, in my home garden, the obedient plant Physostegia is starting to blossom. And over at the community garden plot, the cosmos and sunflowers are finally putting on blooms as well. So making lots of bouquets these days. In the local gardening world, don't forget that our garden photo show at Meadowlark Botanic Gardens in Vienna, Virginia closes on August 30th. So if you haven't seen the display yet, please go over there and check it out. And that was my little kitty fancy urging you to do so as well. If you love plants and all things green, then you might want to take some horticultural classes at the Community College of Baltimore County or CCBC Sustainable Horticultural Program. Registration is open for fall horticultural classes at CCBC Dundalk, Hunt Valley, and Catonsville. Don't delay because the fall semester starts in just two weeks. You can contact Winnie Tan for more information. And that's WTAN at ccbcmd.edu or call her office at 443-840-3787. In the local gardening world, you might want to mark your calendar and save the date for a garlic planting party and poetry slam on October 28th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Washington Youth Garden at the U.S. National Arboretum. Another local event that you might want to attend on August 30th, which is a Wednesday from 7 to 8 p.m. at the Arlington Central Library in Arlington, Virginia, is a garden tool clinic held by the Master Gardeners of Northern Virginia. And you can find out more about that at mgnv.org backslash events. And the USDA.gov People's Gardens webinars continue uh, their August one is Climate Smart Agriculture, and in September they're doing a back-to-school webinar. October will be making the most of the harvest. November is Connecting Our Garden Communities, and then December will be Reclaiming Brown Spaces with the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA. And you can find out more about those webinars at usda.gov peoples-garden webinars. Happy gardening! Get low-maintenance alternative to lawns with the new book, Ground Cover Revolution, by Kathy Jentz. Reducing the lawn is among the biggest trends in home ownership, with an endless stream of homeowners looking for an eco-friendly alternative to a traditional, everyday grass lawn. In the last few years alone, over 23 million American adults converted part of the lawn to a natural landscape and now are looking to do even more. The biggest challenge to adopting this new ideal of the perfect lawn is knowing how and when to replace your turf and which plants are the best ones for the job. Ground Cover Revolution is here with all the answers you need. 
included are 40 in-depth profiles of plants that are perfect choices for replacing a grass lawn. There are options for sun, for shade, for dry and wet sites, and for various climates around the globe. There are choices that bloom, options that are evergreen, and selections that are deer-resistant. Author Kathy Jens has also included an incredibly useful chart that gives you all the details on each of the 40 choices for quick reference and to make your ground cover selection process even easier. Whether you want to replace the entire lawn or just reduce the amount of land dedicated to turf, Ground Cover Revolution will help you usher in a new and improved idea of what a beautiful lawn should be. Available at bookstores now and also at Cordo.com, where you can get 30% off using discount code GARDENING30. In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen Terry Spade, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space while also making a lush outdoor living area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden will turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at amazon.com or bookshop.org. This is the last word on French drainage systems with Craig McManus. I produce and host the Garden Question podcast and also own a boutique landscape company called McPlants, where we design, build, and grow smarter gardens that work. If I've heard it once, I have heard it a thousand times from a client. I have a drainage problem and I need a French drain. Well, maybe they do. Most of the time, they really don't. Many folks just really don't understand the purpose of a French drainage system, nor do they understand how they work or how to build one. A French drainage system is used to collect subsurface groundwater. You know, water coming from out of the ground to the surface. If this was oil bubbling out of the ground instead of water, you'd be doing a jig and headed for California. But since it's water and more than likely drowned in your plants, You need to capture this water and deal with it before it wreaks its damage on your plants. I once had a client where wet weather springs popped up all over their garden. It was a mushy mess. We needed to give the subsurface water a path of least resistance and dry up the garden. A French drainage system was the perfect solution. It functions on the same principles as a raised bed. Raised beds dry out quicker because water percolates out of the soil due to gravity pulling the water to a path of least resistance. In a French drainage system, the subsurface groundwater percolates out of the soil to a sloping trench lined with silt fabric that wraps around usually 4-inch slotted drain pipe located in the bottom of the trench. It is then covered with 57 stones, which are equal in size to half dollar and quarter coins. The voids between the clean 57 stone allows water a path of least resistance into the slotted pipe. The pipe then acts as a conduit flowing and falling on a path of least resistance to a daylight opening or a dry well. 
fold the fabric over the top of the stone, then the whole French drainage system is covered with soil. Wrapping the 57 stone and slotted pipe with silt fabric is important to keep it from clogging up with silt. You should never see a French drainage system once it's been constructed. Grow your plants right on top of it. It is important to remember this is not used for surface water drainage, water flowing across the ground, or from hardscapes. You might want to hold off on the accolades honoring France for coming up with such a wonderful drainage system. This is not equal to a Statue of Liberty gift to the American gardener. All the accolades should go to Henry Flagg French, a judge and farmer from Chester, New Hampshire. In 1859, Judge French published a 381-page illustrated book called Farm Drainage, The Principles, Processes, and Effects of Draining Land with Stones, Wood, Flows, and Open Ditches, and Especially with Tiles. And we think we've got long book titles today. Although Judge French called it something else, it became known as the French Drain. Gardeners around the world, thank you, Henry. What most folks usually are asking for are Dutch drains or a trench drain. They are built very similar to French drains, only the 57 stone is open and visible to the surface of the ground. I never cared for these because they are bound to fail their intended purpose. Eventually, they'll fill with silt and organic debris. At some point, they won't grab the surface water quickly like they did when they were first constructed. Please remember the golden rule of drainage. Do unto your downhill neighbor what you wish your uphill neighbor would do for you. Keep the water that falls out of the sky on your property. This was the last word on French drainage systems by Craig McManus with the Garden Question podcast and make plants where we design, build, and grow smarter gardens that work. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.